So it was first published in 1886 and written by a fellow named James Phillips. Some people feel that the story, however, dates back earlier than that. We don't really know. But what I'm talking about is one of my favorite stories of all, the story of the three little pigs. It must be one of the most widely known stories, although there are slight variations depending upon which version you read, some of which include two of the three little pigs being gobbled up by the wolf. Well, that said, the basic story, very briefly, as you know, is that three little pigs each build a house. One is built of straw, another of sticks, and the last one of bricks. A wolf comes along to the first house and says, little pig, little pig, let me in. And the pig responds, you got it, not by the hair of my chin, chin, chin. And the wolf yells out, then I will huff and I'll puff and I will blow your house in. Well, the wolf does just that, then proceeds to do the same thing to the next house built of sticks. But when the wolf arrives at the house of bricks, the wolf is unable to blow the house down because of its solid construction. No amount of blowing could touch that house, and things don't go so well for the wolf who tumbles down the chimney into a pot of boiling water. Well, the story in some ways is reminiscent of the parable Jesus told when he advised, advised those listening to the Sermon on the Mount to build their houses on rock instead of sand because a house built on rock will survive big storms unlike a house built on sand. Of course, here in this parable, Jesus was not offering construction guidance or telling a fairy tale. He instead was talking about our lives and asking all of us to consider what or who in life serves as our foundation or who or what our identity is based upon. Well, as we now know, today is the first Sunday in Lent, Lent, which began this last Ash Wednesday in our service here. And as I said, and as you all know, Lent's a 40-day period that runs from Ash Wednesday all the way to the Saturday before Easter. And as I mentioned in our Ash Wednesday service, if you go to a calendar, uh, you will find that there are more than 40 days because Lent technically excludes Sundays because Sundays we always celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. The word Lent comes from a word meaning the lengthening of days, and the days are indeed getting longer. Uh, the 40-day period it has huge biblical significance, including the fact that it was the number of days that Jesus was in the wilderness being tempted by the devil. Our reading today from Matthew is the story of the temptation of Jesus. And while there are some differences, the story is also found in the Gospels of Luke and Mark. But before exploring the story, I'd like to make just a few comments about the whole topic of temptation to begin with. Temptations are interesting things, aren't they? And what might be tempting to me, you or me may not be tempting to another person. What might feel like a heavy, burdensome temptation may not even cross your mind. And just as we're all different people, temptations are as different and as varied as there are people. But regardless of what temptations we may have in life, what they all share is that they all lead to the same place, and that is the place of no bueno, not good. A place where harm happens, a place where loving God, loving others, and loving ourselves is no longer front and center. Temptations likely also come from one or two places. They either come from our own thoughts 
in response to something or someone, or they arise from evil itself. And while some temptations certainly come from evil, which I've talked about many other times, it's important to point out that not all temptations have evil at their source. Sometimes we experience temptation because of our own thoughts, our own habits, our own life histories, our own met and unmet needs. And because of God-given free will, sometimes we make a choice that reflects giving in to what is luring us away from what is right, good, and loving. We all struggle with temptation. We are all human beings. And ultimately, temptations, especially given into, really are not that much fun because the consequences typically lead to hurt. Being broken, disappointment with ourselves, guilt, and a fracturing of love. And temptations, especially when given into, can lead to an unhappy pile of very heavy feelings. Well, this background, with this background in mind, let us now turn to our reading from Matthew. And in the story, we hear of three of the devil's assaults, mental assaults on Jesus, who was clearly famished, exhausted, and depleted. And what is interesting about the described temptations is that Jesus has a similar way of responding to each and every one. With each temptation, Jesus recognized the nature of the temptation, where it was coming from, and he understood the consequences of, of acting upon it. It's as if Jesus said, I know what this temptation is about, I know where it's coming from, and I know what will happen if I give in to it. With this in mind, let's briefly look at the three temptations. First, the devil says, Jesus, I know how hungry you are. Go ahead and turn these desert rocks into tasty, hunger-satisfying bread. And while on the surface the temptation is about physical hunger, the devil attempts to cause Jesus to depend on himself instead of God. The devil, in essence, says, Jesus, you can do it. You can get yourself out of this mess all on your own. You don't need God. You can take care of this problem by yourself. Jesus has answered, no, not going to happen. I'm depending on God. Life is not about getting every immediate need addressed. It's about a lifelong dependence on our Creator, and I can't do it without God, and I choose, choose not to try. Then, in another temptation, and the order varies a little bit, but the devil says, all right, I have another offer. And the devil in a flash shows Jesus the entire world. And the devil says, see all of this, it's yours. All you have to do is worship me and you'll have it all. And this temptation Jesus faces is one of compromising his identity and values in order to gain power. Jesus' response, all power belongs to God and I won't compromise myself to gain any part of that power nor will I compromise my principles to get something that feels good. I will only worship God. And the devil then takes Jesus to Jerusalem, places him in the highest part of the temple. The devil then says, Jesus, jump off. You'll be fine. It says in the scriptures that angels will protect you. You won't hurt a thing. Jump. I've always liked to call this the God-on-demand temptation. And when God is on demand, God becomes like a cable television. Need or want something? Switch to the right channel and immediately, voila. It's about approaching God with an attitude of getting anything we ask for when we ask for it, like a vending machine. 
In essence, it puts us in the position of thinking we can control God, or at least wanting to. And Jesus' reply is, that's not the relationship I have with God. God's in control, not me. I'm not going to put God to the test in that way. My relationship with God is not about, God, do this, and then I will believe. God, do this or the other thing, and then I will trust. Then I'll follow through. Then I'll take the risk. No, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to let God be God, Jesus says. Within these verses in Matthew, they're relevant lessons for us all. We learn that sin is real and that sin is all about doing what we want or what momentarily pleases us instead of focusing, instead of focusing on what God might want or desire for us. We learn that sin is ultimately about turning our back on the love of God. We learn that evil is real and insidious, goes after our weak spots, does not have our best interests in mind, seeks to destroy us, will come at us again and again and again, and is in direct opposition to God. We learn that temptations of all kinds surround each of us, and that if we want to overcome them, we're wise to turn to God, not our own strength, to recognize the nature of temptations we face, where they're coming from, and understand the consequences of giving in to them. So given this story and the reality of temptation, what are some things to keep in mind about this whole subject as we begin our journey in Lent? Well, first and foremost, I believe we need to get real and brutally honest with ourselves and with God about what tempts us. Each of us knows what tempts us. Each of us knows what the sources of our particular temptations are. Each of us knows down in our hearts what tempts us, whether it's an action or a way of being or words. And when it's all said and done, temptation is an inside thing. It's a matter of where our hearts are more than anything else. I also believe that doing what Jesus did when tempted is a great thing for us to keep in mind. Remember, as I've said in the story, Jesus said, I know what this temptation is about. I know where it's coming from, and I know where it'll lead. A great strategy for us to keep in mind when those temptations tickle our shoulders. Also, sharing what tempts us with people we trust is a powerful thing to do. It can help keep us accountable, as can prayer. Remember, even in the Lord's Prayer, we say, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And then there's this approach to responding to temptation. In the New Testament, it's the letter to the Hebrews. And while we don't know who specifically wrote the letter, here's what the writer states. Jesus understands every weakness of ours because he was tempted in every way that we are, but he did not sin. So whenever we are in need, we should come bravely before our merciful God. There we will be treated with kindness and we will find help. In other words, God invites us to hand our temptations over to Christ. And in Christ, we will find help with what tempts us. We don't have to go it alone. We don't have to carry the load and weight of what tempts us around. And if we are guilt or shame ridden over temptations or having given into them, we can hand it all over to Christ and let it go. Because God is merciful. Because God is kind. Because God is forgiving. And we need to join God in acting that way toward ourselves with mercy and kindness and forgiveness. But there is one more thing to keep in mind. 
Ultimately, what was at stake for Jesus in the wilderness during, during those arduous days was the possibility he could have lost sight of who he really was. Notice what the devil does at the very beginning of this story. The devil says, if you are the son of God. And by using the word if, there is little doubt the devil is attempting to cause Jesus to question who he is down deep. What if Jesus had responded with something like, oh my, the devil said, if I am the son of God. Why the word if? Am I really the son of God? What if I'm not? Had Jesus lost sight of who he was in the wilderness, game over. But because Jesus was clear about his identity, he turned to God. And so I believe this compels us on this first Sunday of Lent to ask ourselves, are we clear about our own identity? Do we know who we are? And what's at the core of how we see ourselves? What is it that occupies the nucleus of how you see yourself? Fundamentally, do you and I see ourselves first and foremost, first and foremost, as God's beloved? Or do we see ourselves through the lens of a whole host of other options and addendums? When we hear the question, who am I, what comes to mind first? Is it the word God's? When we work to see ourselves in our core as God's, as God's specifically chosen, beloved, forgiven, and cherished possession, things happen, or at least we become more aware of them happening. When we know that we are God's beloved, first and foremost, healing happens. Sometimes the seemingly impossible occurs. We become aware of the purpose of people and events that come across our paths. Sometimes surprises and unplanned twists and turns, which at first we don't welcome, lead us to something better. With our identity clear that we are God's beloved, we hope and trust and live in the moment. We learn to see death as a doorway to a magnificent eternity. We see ourselves as gods, and when we do so, we're released and free to let God be God in our lives and let God take over. To let God give us the strength we need to let God face our problems on our behalf. And when we come to understand that we can't but God can, we are liberated from all the things that hold us back from living the life that God has in mind for us. The bottom line is that we come to see ourselves at our core as God's beloved. This will have a massive effect on how we live and the choices we make. You see, our lives ultimately reflect the core identity we have embraced. If I see myself as God's, it affects how I think, how I feel, what I trust, what I turn to, what my priorities are, what I rely on, how I ce celebrate success, how I respond to failure, face heartache, and deal with life's gains and losses. And based on what we're talking about today, if we, at our core, see ourselves as God's beloved, how we respond to temptations that come our way, or how we deal with the consequences of them if we have given in to them, is dramatically altered. Getting clear on our identity is one of the best ways to confront temptation, as Jesus did. Jesus overcame what could have led him terribly off track because he was clear he was God's. 
My fervent prayer for you and for me is that when we wonder, who am I? The first response will cross our minds and lips is, I am God's. God wants you and me, every bit, piece, and iota. Give it all over to God over and over and over and each day during this season of Lent and beyond, say to yourself, I am God's. It will change everything. And wherever we are today in our faith journey, wherever we may happen to be with certain temptations or having given into them, trust and know that God will help us overcome, heal us, and help us to live the lives God has in mind. And finally, if today you find yourself living in a straw or stick-built house with a wolf blowing hard trying to get at you, Know that Jesus is extending his hand to you right now to help you move into his house of bricks. And let us now turn to a few moments of silent prayer.